Lebanon is reeling after an explosion that killed at least 100 people and left another 4,000 injured in Beirut. Celebrities are finally taking the bold stand of defending fellow rich person Ellen DeGeneres. And we're diving deeper into Beyonce's new project, Black is King, with Gina Shirellis. The date, August 5th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hey everyone, I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. All right, we're just going to dive right in today. Here are today's top stories and what you need to know. At least 100 people are dead after a massive explosion in Lebanon yesterday in a disaster that leveled buildings and injured thousands. The blast happened yesterday in Beirut at the capital city's port. Earlier reports showed videos of a smaller fire leading up to a massive fireball, which sent out a shockwave that absolutely decimated the surrounding area and could be felt as far as 150 miles away on the island of Cyprus. Early investigations by Lebanese authorities now say that the explosion was set off when fireworks stored in the port managed to ignite 2,750 metric tons of ammonium nitrate fertilizer. That's roughly 1,000 times the amount that was used in the Oklahoma City bombing back in the early 1990s. The ammonium nitrate had been there for years after reportedly being seized by port officials. The government and Lebanese Red Cross have scrambled to provide assistance to the injured, but the devastation comes on top of a series of crises for Lebanon, including the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, years of political struggles, and a population that is 20% refugees. Now the city has to face the looming threat of food shortages as one of the biggest grain silos for Beirut went up in flames and worry about treating at least 4,000 injured citizens after four hospitals were totally knocked out of commission. Meanwhile, here in the U.S., yesterday was the latest in what feels like a never-ending stream of primary elections. But this time, we got some pretty interesting results. It was a big day for progressive causes and candidates around the country in a way that left even activists kind of surprised. In Michigan, Representative Rashida Tlaib won the Democratic nomination for her seat after what had become a surprisingly tough race that required the intervention of Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. And out in Missouri, Cori Bush, a nurse and Black Lives Matter activist, won her race against incumbent William Lacey Clay. Bush's win in the district that includes Ferguson means that she'll likely become the first Black woman in Congress from Missouri. And speaking of Missouri, voters there also narrowly decided to expand access to Medicaid, making it the latest in a string of conservative states to do so. The decision will mean that 230,000 low-income Missourians will now have access to the subsidized healthcare program, just as the coronavirus pandemic means that the state-run system is struggling. Missouri is now the sixth Republican-led state to make that choice in a row following Oklahoma a few weeks ago. And Republicans in Kansas are breathing a sigh of relief that their preferred candidate will be on the ballot for the U.S. Senate this fall. Former Kansas Secretary of State and all-around crank Chris Kobach lost his primary race to State Representative Roger Marshall. Kobach's positions on immigration, he's again it, and voter fraud, he thinks it's a real big problem, had worried Kansas bigwigs that an already contested race would wind up a blowout. And back to Lebanon, if you have not seen those videos of the explosion, it is just truly horrifying and terrifying to see that. I mean, and the aftermath. Right? It's... Poor Lebanon. Like, they're a country and Beirut, a city that had just been through just so much shit over the last 40, 50 years that for this to happen and for not to be, you know, an act of terrorism or an act of war, for it to be what appears to be just a genuine accident through negligence and through the government not taking care of this 
obscene amount of dangerous material sitting in the port for that to be the cause of this much tragedy is just heartbreaking. And, you know, you know, not only dealing with this aftermath, but also dealing with the coronavirus, although um, seeing a lot of videos and photos of people saying thanking the coronavirus, because if we weren't going through this pandemic, they would have been working in their offices at the time. And a lot of people were saved from being killed or injured via the explosion. Exactly. I mean, this the shockwave from this, it shattered windows, sent glass flying everywhere, people bloody on the streets, a lot of people's homes destroyed. And shout out to all of the local and foreign journalists in Beirut who immediately thereafter just got right back up and started covering this, even as their apartments were destroyed, even as they were not sure if their friends and family were okay. We're going to put links in our show notes today for the International Committee of the Red Cross, which is taking donations for Lebanon. Uh, If you want to go there or provide donations to others, highly suggested. All right, that's all I've got, Casey. What's on your plate? A couple of things. First, the movie industry is still trying to figure out how to make back all of the money it spent on its blockbusters, with most theaters still closed in the U.S. One of the movies that's been used as a test for movie theater viability is Christopher Nolan's upcoming film, Tenet. Like most of Nolan's films, it's really been optimized for viewing on the biggest screen you can find. And its release has been pushed back three times. It went from opening on July 17th to July 31st to August 12th to... Eventually, one day. (laughs) And Disney thinks it may have found a solution, though, with its live-action remake of Mulan. The company said in an earnings call on Tuesday that Mulan will be skipping U.S. theaters entirely, though it will be available in some theaters in international markets, including China. Instead, American Disney Plus subscribers will get to watch it in early September for an additional $30. Disney tells CNN that the $30 will mean that viewers will get to have access to rewatch the film as many times as they want, as long as they stay Disney Plus subscribers, that is. (laughs) And if you're thinking this could be the end of movie theaters, Disney CEO Bob Chapek said that Mulan would be a one-off, not a new model. I am... Really intrigued to see how this goes in a couple of different directions. Like they say it's not a new model, but do I believe them? Mm, I don't know about that. Yeah, I think I'm going to be pretty upset if this isn't a one-off situation because that means they then just tried to test this out on Mulan, which has an Asian cast. And I think a lot of people were excited to see this live action film in theaters, which just like, you know, Christopher Nolan's movie, I think is meant to be seen on a giant screen as well. That makes sense. I mean, I'm a little concerned, though, because, I mean, just another step down the line of you don't really own this movie. You paid money for it, but you don't really own it. Like if you cancel your Disney Plus subscription, that just means you never get to watch the copy of Mulan you bought again. And, you know, a lot of people are also talking about this $30. It's like, okay, maybe it's okay with families. It's cheaper than taking your whole family to the movies. But you're seeing it on a small screen. And also we're in the middle of a pandemic. And I think in one of these cases, it's like, you know, like a bunch of you and your friends could go in on the movie and then watch it all together. But now it's like everyone in a different home or who has a different subscription is going to have to pay for it. Also, with all of the heat that Ellen DeGeneres is getting for the atmosphere and allegations of misconduct behind the scenes of her show, some of her dearest celebrity friends are leaping to her defense. That's included frequent guests like Katy Perry and Ashton Kutcher and longtime supporters like music manager Scooter Braun. It also includes actor Kevin Hart, who Ellen defended after he was dropped from hosting the 2019 Oscars for his homophobic jokes. 
The general theme of most of the celebrity posts was to praise DeGeneres herself and say that in their time on the show, they never experienced any bad vibes. Uh, But the celebs haven't been united in their praise. Some like Brad Garrett and Rachel Bloom noted that, yeah, of course, Ellen was nice and the show seemed great. We're the celebrity guests. And Tony Okumboa, who was DJ on the show from 2006 to 2013, posted on Instagram that he, quote, did experience and feel the toxicity of the environment. He added, quote, and I stand with my former colleagues in their quest to create a healthier and more inclusive workplace as the show moves forward. I so many of these celebrities just getting dragged mercilessly right now because it does come off as kind of uh what's the word I'm looking for disconnected from the moment to be like uh can you believe that these plebs are complaining about Ellen our Ellen <laughs> and one of my favorite tweets comes from Christian Zamora who's our colleague at BuzzFeed and he said celebrities with their Ellen posts right now sound like I can't speak for Cinderella but I've only had wonderful experiences at the dinner parties hosted by her stepmother and stepsisters at the castle sending Ooh. them so much love right now Ooh, damn. <laughs> and it's true it's like it's like okay I believe your experiences as mm-hmm. celebrities I believe your experiences but that's not what we're talking about right no, now you have to Completely changed the subject. Uh, the other great tweet I saw about this was someone comp- saying that celebrities defending Ellen is the new Imagine video. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, oh. No. <laughs> that's a very good comparison. <laughs> Accurate. But a uh, cringe. <laughs> All right. After the break, we're talking about Beyonce's Black is King with Gina Shirellis from the opinion desk of The New York Times. Be right back. It. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.comslash 2022. What's up, what's up? This is Robin Dixon, co-host of Reasonably Shady, which has just been nominated for an NAACP Image Award in the Outstanding Arts and Entertainment Podcast category. This is so big for Giselle and I. And of course, we must thank all of our fantastic listeners. But we need your help. Visit vote.naacpimageawards.net to vote for Reasonably Shady. That's vote.naacpimageawards.net. But don't wait. Voting closes on February 5th at 9 p.m. Eastern. And make sure to listen to Reasonably Shady every single Monday on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree. They see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky. They see treasure and pebbles. They see a windy path that could lead to adventure. And they see you, their fearless guide through this fascinating world. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back. If you've been listening to the show since we first started back in April, you may have guessed that we're pretty into Beyonce. But last week, Mrs. Knowles Carter dropped her latest project, 
Black is King on Disney Plus and blew us all away. To help us unpack the visual odyssey and some of the symbolism you might have missed inside, we're joined by New York Times staff writer and certified Beyonce stan, Gina Shirelis. Hi, Gina. Good afternoon. Hey, you guys. How's it going? So, Gina, when did you first hear that we were going to be getting Black is King? And what were your expectations compared to, say, Lemonade or Homecoming? Well, uh, I think I heard it the same time everyone else did. I believe it was, uh, what, a couple of months ago, a few weeks ago when uh, the trailer dropped. And when I saw the trailer, I was just like, okay, yeah, we're going to get something like Lemonade or like Homecoming. But Beyonce is the type of artist who she, you know, she will have, she, she's competing against herself. So I knew it was going to be something even bigger and better than what we've already seen. And I was excited. So this whole thing, which I honestly, I missed the trailer when it first dropped. So it was a surprise to me when we finally got it uh, to learn that the whole thing is based around last year's album, The Gift, which was in turn based around the story of The Lion King, which Beyonce played the voice of Nala for. Do you think that frame around The Lion King, was that a constraint on the project in your opinion, or do you think it really helped pull it all together? Well, I actually learned recently, I was watching an interview with um, Tina Knowles, Beyonce's mother, that after uh, filming or voicing Nala for the film, Beyonce learned that in the original film, the song called The Lion Sleeps Tonight, it was actually, um, I think, composed and written by a South African a musician who at the end was paid for it, but his name was not included in the credits, nor did he receive royalties. And Tina said that that inspired Beyonce to create her own film, like, okay, I'm going to do this right for Africans, for the African diaspora. And so I think that, I don't think it was a restraint. I don't think that it took away from the remake last year. I mean, I, I didn't see the remake last year because I'm I mean, also... Same, to be honest. Like, we're just putting it out there. Didn't watch it. Didn't really feel the need. Yeah, no, right. I'm also a Lion King stan, so I figured, okay, I'm good with the original. I think I'll be fine. But I think that it wasn't a restraint on that. I think it actually elevated it because in Black is King, we're seeing that story of Simba or a prodigal son who returns back for his rightful place in the throne played by Africans. And I think that when you think about Disney and what the Lion King meant for people all around the world, but especially for Africans, it was a, it's a close story to all of us, but it's performed by animals and (laughs) unlike, right. And unlike other Disney films where, you know, you have Hercules in Greece, like you're seeing these historic stories about um, these cultures being played out by animated humans, but humans nonetheless, I think that Beyonce in a way gave us a film that sort of highlighted that African like regalness and the historic royalty showing African people made by African people. And I think that that was a really good way to sort of make up for the CGI remake last year. (laughs) (laughs) So you wrote about the influences that Black is King puts out there for Zora magazine on Medium. What's the biggest one that you think that people may have missed on first viewing? I think the biggest one that folks might have missed is just the All of the symbolisms that you'll find in African culture, whether it's the headdresses, the clothing, the or I should say like the traditional costumes and the jewelry pieces, all of that was very intentional. And I think that when you think of Beyonce, you know that she's going to flaunt 
uh, and her best and the most nicest, you know, clothes and stuff. But I think what makes this different is the fact that everything, almost everything that she had on and that the performers had on were really rooted in African culture in that history. And I think that if you aren't fully aware of it, because I know that societies like to think of the continent as one big thing and they don't realize that these are all different countries with their own histories and their own values. And I think that by including different countries in Black is King, that was a way for her to highlight the things that they valued. So let's talk some about the poetry work that Beyonce puts in. You know, since Lemonade, she's loved using bits of it as dialogue and narration. Uh, Did you have a favorite line or bit that she included this time around? This time around, I don't, I mean, I, I love the work of, um, Yersa Daly Howard. I mean, sorry, Yersa Daly Ward and where Howard came from and (laughs) Worsen Shire. I think that the narration in this film really helped, but I can't say that I have like my most favorite one. I've only seen, it's insane. I've only seen the film three times and I still (laughs) think I need to go back and listen, but I think that the first two music videos. I know for Find Your Way Back, um, especially, I really love the lyrics in that um, song um, that she performed. And as far as the poetry goes, I think that I can't say a verbatim because I don't want to mess it up, but I think that the moment that stood out to me especially was toward the end, before we're seeing the video for Power, where Beyonce is in a garden and she's sort of narrating. We see Simba or the man who's playing Simba meet with Rafiki and they're sort of narrating through poetry his reconnection with his father in heaven. That's what it looks like. And I think that that stood out to me a lot because the film highlights a lot of ancestralism, especially how that's valued and uh, is of a big importance in African culture. And I think that that was was a moment where I was like, wow, like she took the story of Lion King and made it much more spiritual in a way that I think I didn't see it that way before. When The Gift came out, Beyonce was criticized by some reviewers for having mostly West and South African artists on an album based on a story set in East Africa. What do you think? Was that a fair critique? I think that was a fair critique. I think that, like I said earlier, Um, And Beyonce, as much as I love her, she's not above criticism. And I think that, um, yeah, and I think that West, I mean, East Africans, they definitely had a right to to feel left out if Beyonce was, um, if she was presenting this film as a way to show, to display different parts of Africa and the different cultures. And Lion King is set in East Africa. It it is very important to include that. But at the same time, I understand that we're living in a moment where we're seeing the Afrobeats boom. And a lot of those sounds are coming out of Nigeria and South Africa. And I think that, and I can't speak for Beyonce, but I think that in Black is King, the way that she tried to make up for it is at the end, we hear her speak in Swahili, which is a language that's spoken in Kenya and Tanzania and other countries that aren't necessarily in West or South Africa. And so I don't think that that's enough. And I, as someone who's never produced a film as big as that, I, I can understand that maybe it was very, it was a really big project to handle, but I think that that was a start. Um, and I think that, um, people did have fair criticisms, but Beyonce is one woman and, 
she's not perfect, um, even though <laughs> I like to think that she is, or she comes very close. Flawless but, is not equal perfect. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, but I, th- I think that I would never, I would never tell someone who's from the continent that their feelings aren't valid as someone who isn't. So I. I, I, when I when I was hearing that at the time last year, I thought, okay, that was a very fair point. So with this under her belt, Beyonce has now produced smash hit visual art for HBO, Netflix, and Disney+. What do you think is the next frontier for her? I mean, can we even imagine what the next thing could be? I think it'd be really cool if she just came out with her own streaming service, right? Mm. Like, I mean, she has <laughs> title. What, do you think the title should become oh, video right, that's now? that's true. That's true. <laughs> Everyone she forgets about title. title. <laughs> right, no, I know. Uh, I mean, I guess it's because I associate title with Jay-Z. Oh, that's um, a good point. But you're right, but you're right. She does. I mean, I, I'm i not sure. I think that the, the most amazing, one of the most amazing things about Beyonce is that she keeps you on, her, on your toes. I think that when she dropped self-titled, and she released what it was like 12 or 13 music videos along with that. That was like her first like step into visual albums. And I remember at the time I was in college and I thought, whoa, I've never seen anything like this before. And she topped that with Lemonade and she topped that with Homecoming and she topped that again with Black is King, um, making it so intentional that she used or she had the help of over 100 African artists who created this piece of art. So, and I think that in a lot of ways as Beyonce moves forward into her career, she's showing us that she's very conscious, that she's very aware of what's happening in the world. And so I think that her next project, I wouldn't be surprised if it's something like Black is King, where she's making a statement on where we are in the world, uh, whether it's a political statement or a social statement. I think that she's, I don't doubt that she's always been woke. I just think that because of the power that she now has and the power that she's, you know, growing to have, I think that we're going to see her make these statements and bigger and different ways. Well, Gina, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Okay, we have time for one more thing, and I have been losing my mind for the last 24 hours over this tweet that I saw. So please, Casey, let me tell you about this. (laughs) Okay, scale of 1 to 10, how much is this going to ruin my day? Like, honestly, if I'm being real with you, an 11. It is absolutely (laughs) going to torpedo your day. So this is the tweet from user at Stolen Sons. White people will make fun of ethnic food, but forget that Europeans literally ate mummies all the time, and that's why mummies are rare. Um, what? <laughs> yes, yes. I, I too was like, wow, what a funny tweet. This cannot be based on anything real. But then I did some Googling, and it turns out it's real. It is very real, okay, Casey. I'm cracking out now because when I, I did see that tweet, and I thought it was a funny joke. <laughs> <laughs> No, it is real as shit. I Marie Dolan covered this back in 2012 for Smithsonian Magazine in an article called The Gruesome History of Eating Corpses as Medicine. Turns out Europe during like the Renaissance from like, I don't know, the 17th century up until the 19th thought that eating human body parts from dead people was like a great medicine to make you feel better in all kinds of different ways. Okay, now I'm feeling, you know, when someone like keeps a bottle of wine to like age it. That's how I feel like every 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 family would have like one mummy in their basement. <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah, it was they would grind up the mummies 
and use it as tinctures. Much like, you know, people in California are like, mm, this CBD tincture sure makes me feel better. Same level of science going on, you guys. I'm sorry. CBD, I'm sure it works for a lot of people, but there's no science proving it yet <laughs> because of terrible marijuana laws, but I'm digressing. Uh, so yeah, people would take Egyptian mummies and grind them up. And when they became too rare, there's like, eh, bone is bone and use skulls instead for headaches like oh you have a headache then clearly a human skull will make you feel better <laughs> makes sense <laughs> i mean it, it was all this like homeopathic like cures like thing so if you're not feeling too good and uh we'll just put some new blood in you you can go to the gallows and get fresh hot blood from the executioner who in germanic countries in the 17th century was almost like a quasi mystic kind of person Listener, you cannot see my eyes right now, but they are uh, shocked and disgusted. (laughs) (laughs) There were also recipes for other ways you could use this human blood in case you didn't want to have it fresh, including a recipe that that Ms. Dolan found for marmalade. Marmalade. Blood marmalade. Okay, today's episode's done now. We're done with today. (laughs) You know what? You're right. Let's wrap this up. That is it for today. Join us tomorrow for a conversation with one of our favorite people, BuzzFeed News' Sachi Cole, about her new podcast, Not Great with Sachi Cole. And remember, your mummy will make you feel better when you're sick. A mummy will not. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. BetMGM welcomes you with a special offer on the NBA. Simply place a $10 Moneyline wager on today's game. If either team hits a three-pointer, you'll win $200 in free bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. Just use bonus code CHAMPION200 when you make your bet. BetMGM is proud to be an authorized gaming partner of the NBA. And there's endless ways to make it rain with the king of sportsbooks. Download the app or go to BetMGM.com and use bonus code CHAMPION200 to win $200 in free bets if a three-pointer is made in today's game. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. and Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Being a real estate agent isn't about listing houses. It's about connecting to people. I need to find new buyers every day. So I promote my listings using radio commercials from iHeartAdBuilder.com. Now every time I have an open house, it's a full house. A custom radio ad from iHeartAdBuilder is the fast, affordable way to drive customers to your business. Put the power of radio to work for you. Get started now at iHeartAdBuilder.com. What grows in the forest? Our imagination and our family bonds. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.